in 1975, he directed Jaws. In 1978, he directed Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1981, he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. And now, Steven Spielberg brings us E.T., the Extraterrestrial. We will witness the arrival, the search, the desertion, the fear, the discovery, the friendship. I'm keeping him. The secret, the love. The warning, the signal, the mystery, the danger. The intrusion, the wonderment, the enchantment, the hope, the connection has been made. Universal Pictures presents Steven Spielberg's E.T. The Extraterrestrial. Welcome back to the Essential Films Podcast, a podcast devoted to the discussion of the greatest movies ever made or the Essential Films. I'm joined by my uh, long-suffering co-host, Mr. Mark Espinoza, who who had a rough month in August, and uh, he's back to do some podcasting. Gotta get back on the grind, man, but I'm happy to be here. Uh, how have you? We haven't talked in a while. How have you, how have you been doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, you know, I've actually, uh, you know, I, I've... I unfortunately had a lack of uh, movies in my life the last month or so, but uh, but I am getting back on that grind. I am starting to make trips to my local multiplex and my uh, my Alamo Draft House and check out some stuff. Uh, I went to see it twice, and uh, so one of those uh, was a very special screening. Yes, at Alamo Draft House, they had the. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, it's made waves on like social media and you know some publications that have written uh, stuff about it. They did an all clown screening of it where in order to go, you had to dress up like a clown. Now, I mean, people did the bare minimum there. I'll say this. I'll say that as much. Um, I mean, somebody went in, which is like a red nose, which is I mean, that's, I guess it's good enough. Oh, uh, they were hand- come on. That's that's lame. <laughs> it is. It is lame. But I, I mean, I guess I, I guess it's the thought <laughs> that, like, OK, if I'm going to go, you know, I, see, I'm someone that goes all out for something like that. Like, if I'm going to go, I'm going to really like go like i i bought the uh the pennywise costume from amazon the whole mask and the clown get up with the gloves and the 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 wig and i that's what i wore i have those pictures up on instagram right now and i went all out for that i mean some people just went with like the the rainbow wig you know some suspenders and a nose which is so good some people did face paint i didn't do any of the face paint because i had the mask but like a couple of people just went with like a red nose they're like oh i mean i guess that counts but like could put a little more effort into it, but you know, and, but it was cool. You know, it was very creepy being there with a bunch of clowns. But like, you know, we were all there for the same purpose to watch it, to be with like a, com- a community of clowns 
there were photographers there taking pictures for Alamo's website for the Instagram. Like it was about, I think it was like maybe five or six photographers, and like four of them took my picture. You know, so I think one of them ended up making an Instagram. I, I don't remember. I haven't really looked, but um, but it was a fun time. You know, I loved it the first time. And the second time when I took my mother to see it, you know, I, I liked it even more. That, that, that was what, what a great movie it was. But that we'll save that for uh, for our very special uh, 100th Force Perspective. We'll talk about that one. But uh, great film, though. Great film. Uh, now, I want to I want to know how many Joker and Harley, Harley Quinn showed up at the screening. Uh, I was going to do Joker at first, but I was like, yeah, I feel like people are going to want to go that route. Um, let me not do that. Let me just maybe do Pennywise or some variation of that, which I ended up doing. Uh, I always saw one Joker, actually. I thought there'd be more. No Harley Quinns, but I saw one Joker. So there's that. You know what I saw? <laughs> so I, I recently went to a little bit of a non sequitur. I, I, I went to the uh, Chicago Comic-Con last month. And uh, as you know, people do cosplay for those kind of things. And there's one costume that I kept seeing over and over. And you know the people that whenever they were making the costume thought they were going to be so original. But then I saw like 10 different couples wearing the same thing. And it was Joker and Harley Quinn, but with the gender reverse. So the guy was dressed up like Harley Quinn and the girl was dressed up like uh, Joker. Uh. And like you could, you know they were so proud of it. And they, <laughs> and you knew that they were like, no one else is going to do this. Yeah, like 10 other people did it too. So <laughs> I thought that was kind of <laughs> We're being progressive. And then like 10 other, pe- uh, 10 other couples were being progressive as well. <laughs> now, so it, it ranged from like uh, the girl was wearing like the exact replica of the Joker suit and the guy was wearing the exact replica of the of the Harley suit. And then others were like female-izing the Joker suit or male-izing the, the Harley Quinn suit. But either uh, way, it was like, it was like, all right, <laughs> you know, come on. We but, get uh, it. But yeah, all right, yeah. But I I went to see it uh, as well. I thought it was a pretty uh, decent horror film. But we'll we'll talk about that on a future Force perspective, as this is for um, uh, more classic films. Uh, but before we get to our our film this week, uh, I do kind of want to shout out. Um, since the last time we met, we lost two big Hollywood legends. I kind of wanted to give him a, a bit of a shout-out here at the top of the show. Um, first, uh, a couple weeks back, we lost uh, the legendary Jerry Lewis. Yeah, that was uh, was a real heartbreaker. Like, uh, I have a friend on Facebook who, uh, after he died, he started throwing up his, all his old uh, tele- his telethon uh, appearances, his hosting gigs. You know, and, and I think Shout Factory did something like that too. Like they put up one of his old uh, telethons, I think, on Labor Day for for people to watch. So that was a uh, that was interesting. But yeah, Jerry Lewis, a, a comedy legend. You know, you know, we're we're losing all our legends, man. Our alphas, you know, little by little. And that that one was that one was heartbreaking. Yeah, uh, I mean, I um. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I mean, this is a classic film podcast. The only Jerry Lewis movie I had ever seen was The King of Comedy uh, the, with uh, Robert De Niro directed by Scorsese. And that was not really the Jerry Lewis that was famous. That was more of like right. a dramatic role or, a, uh, you know, a, kind of like a, a take on his, his fame and, and celebrity as a real, you know, as a real person. Um, and it wasn't like the kind of goofy and wacky performance that he did in the 50s and 60s. So I've been kind of, I, I, you know, I realize there's a big hole in my kind of film education uh, on on uh, on Jerry Lewis movies. So I've been actually going back and watching some of the old uh, some of the old films. And uh, you know, <laughs> I gotta say it. I gotta be honest. It not my kind of comedy. I, I gotta be perfectly frank. It's not my <laughs> kind. Like that over the top, like slapsticky, like f- funny faces. 
Um, now, that isn't to say, I'm not trying to, to belittle the man. He, he was very good at what he did. Just wasn't my particular cup of tea. But uh, I have been trying to kind of go through uh, some of the like more classic films. I've watched them. Um, you know, artists and models, which he did with Dean Martin. I watched uh, the Ladies' Man, uh, not the not the Tim Meadows' Ladies' Man, the Jerry Lewis' ma- Ladies' Man. Uh, I watched the uh, Cinderella. <laughs> uh, I watched yeah. uh, the Bellboy. <laughs> uh, I've got, I've still got the Nutty Professor, and I think a, a couple other movies. I, I want to get through it, and then I was gonna do maybe like a special mini podcast episode up where, where I just kind of give my quick thoughts on on, on his films. It's probably gonna come later uh, later this month whenever I actually get get through all these films but uh you know he was kind of a, a legendary comic uh comedic uh actor um famously uh, uh friends with uh dean martin and had many mm-hmm. movies with dean martin uh was jerry lewis part of the rat pack or he was just kind of associated with dean martin i think he was more associated with, with him i don't think he was an official rat packer yeah, but I, I could I, be wrong I, I didn't think so but i just wanted to make sure um, but yeah, he, he you know he was ninety one, I believe, at the time of his death. So not not really tragic because I mean he lived a very long full life. But uh, right. it, it's still you know a big loss to the uh, the classic Hollywood community. Um, and yeah, we just wanted Absolutely. to throw that out there. The other person, I, I, well, before before we move on, I do have to say like you know with, with Jerry Lewis, like you know kind of like you, I'm I'm not too familiar with a lot of his uh, his films. I think I've only seen the Nutty Professor. The original Nutty Professor is the only one I've seen. No, but I know about his relationship with Dean Martin, you know, and I most know him as the inspiration for Professor Frank on, on The, the Simpsons. Simpsons. Right. <laughs> yes, like his like, hoy Glavin and all his like uh, silly mannerisms and all that. So, uh, but yeah, the Jerry Lewis legend, you know, he he will definitely be missed. But he got to live a long, long life, great career, uh, and he was still doing. He's still pretty active. Uh, um into his and i know he just released the movie last year um uh let me look it up real quick but it was like kind of a small indie movie um something like max um let me look it up max rose uh came out oh i guess it wasn't last year it says 2013 but he was doing promotion for it last year so maybe they were actually released it last year even though it says 2013 here um but he was uh yeah he's got a very distinguished long career um and you know, rightly or wrongly, you know, one of the first things I thought of when I heard the news was, I wonder if we're going to get to see the day the clown died or the the day the clown cried. I think is what it's called. Oh God, that is, that, whole, that infamous thing. The infamous, the infamous, um, unreleased film by Lewis, uh, w- which is about a, a clown in in the Holocaust uh, in concentration camps that led children to their deaths. Uh, a movie that was apparently so bad. Uh, Lewis Lewis was like, I'm just gonna lock this up and keep it in a vault and never show anybody. Although he did, he has shown some people uh, in the past the film, including Back to the Simpsons. Harry Shearer, did you know this? No, I did not know that. Harry Shearer, uh, who I believe is the voice of Homer, right? No, no, no. Harry Shearer does like Principal Skinner. Oh, okay. Uh, and a few others. What's the most famous character he does? Is it Skinner? It's Skinner. Yeah. Okay. Well, sorry, I thought it was Homer. Oh no, that's Dan Castellaneta, isn't it? Yes, yeah, correct. Right. Sorry. So Harry Shearer uh, actually, for whatever reason, has gotten to see the movie, and he said that it is pretty terrible. So I'm interested if his estate will actually release that as a f- uh, uh, for the public to see. You know, it would be interesting, but I feel like, you know, if, if Lewis went through all that trouble to keep it from not being released, I'm sure the the estate will want to honor his memory yeah. and not do yeah, that. Yeah, there's, 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 I mean, I can see both sides of it, right? Because, like, on one hand... 
the movie is such a curiosity that I really want to just see it just to say I've seen it. But on the other hand, like you kind of want to honor his wishes and yeah. like, he clearly didn't want the art scene. So maybe we should honor his wishes and not see it. Yeah, I don't know. Pretty much. Uh, uh, but, it, but if it gets released, I am watching it. <laughs> uh, Me too. Absolutely. But uh, moving on, the other, the other big legend uh, we just lost uh, uh, just yesterday um, as, as the time that we record this Harry Dean Stanton. Now, now Harry Dean Stanton is someone I can definitely talk a lot more about because I definitely see much more of his his film library. Uh, again, another uh, um, he he died in his nineties, so not not exactly unexpected, but uh, he he did pass away. Uh, you you see, Harry Stanton is probably Harry Dean Stanton is probably one of the greatest uh, character actors. Uh, I mean, he. You saw him in Alien, you saw him in Repo Man, you saw him in Pretty in Pink. Mm-hmm. He had a cameo in The Avengers. I mean, he's this, this guy's done pretty much everything there is to do. Yeah, man. Uh I mean, I, I think back to uh you know, he was in uh he was in Christine, he was in Escape from New York, he was in Red Dawn. Avenge you know, me. My... <laughs> exactly. But my personal favorite Harry Dean Sandro ever, and I alluded to this uh on Facebook was Repo Man. Oh man, I, I, he's so awesome in that movie. Probably the, my favorite role he's ever done. Um, and I meant to squeeze in a, a screening of that this weekend. I didn't have a chance to, but I will be watching it sometime this week when I get home from work, just as a like a as a night movie for me, like to kind of relax and just honor the memory of this great man, this great actor who had a great career. You know, and that one that one really broke my heart. But uh, but I'll definitely be uh be honoring him by. Doing a uh, a screen the Criterion edition of uh, of Repo Man this week, absolutely. Repo Man is such a great cult movie. It's so weird and like weird in that good way that when you're watching, it, you're like, "What is this movie?" It's so yeah. awesome. Uh, to, to this day, probably Emilio Estevez's his best movie. Um, but uh, I mean, <laughs> no, a... come on, Gordon Bombay will disagree with you. Well, I don't <laughs> know. Uh, but yeah, the Repo Man's a great film. Uh, I remember him in Cool Hand Luke. I think he sings the the song at one point. Um, uh, oh, and um, Paris, Texas. I'm not sure if anybody's ever seen Paris, Texas. It's, a, it's on Criterion. Uh, you can get it, it. It's a fantastic film from the uh, 1984, I believe. It's a phenomenal performance, and like honestly, I think he should have gotten an Oscar for that movie. Uh, if you've never seen Paris, Texas, that's the film I would recommend most, more than anything else. Uh, and then go back to watch the rest of his filmography. But what a fantastic character actor! Uh, I just saw him recently in a movie called Lucky. That was released. Uh, that's actually touring the fe- uh, like the film festivals now. Uh, there were, you know, I saw it as part of the Chicago Film Festival uh, back in May, um, and uh, it's basically kind of like almost kind of an autobiographical movie. Not not necessarily about the life of Harry Dean Stanton, but about a guy kind of his age uh, that you know is kind of nearing the end of his life, and he's kind of cranky and, and dealing with like people around them and. And what it's like to be an old man, and and, uh, and 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 loneliness, and all sorts of things, and he kind of delivers this fantastic performance that I, I hope he gets a posthumous Oscar nomination for. Um, but it's such a small little movie. I think it's getting a wider release later this year, but it's touring festivals now. Um, Lucky, that's that's the name of the film. Yeah, uh, I've been hearing some buzz about that. So hopefully, if it comes around here, I'll check it out. Yeah, as, it's absolutely a great film. Um, I really, I really hope it gets a little more attention. Unfortunately, now that he's passed away, maybe it'll get more attention. Uh, but uh, I, I really did enjoy that film a lot, and uh, uh, he, what a great, what a fantastic uh, character actor he was. So uh, you know, rest in peace, uh, Jerry Lewis and uh, Harry Dean Stanton, two classic film actors. So. Uh, 
you know, 2017 has not been as bad as 2016 as far as as far as the death toll goes. Uh, but I mean, those are two pretty big ones to lose within within a couple weeks of each other. Definitely. All right, so let's let's move on to our uh, to our main attraction. Uh, what, what you all clicked on here for uh, today's episode is uh, E.T. the Extraterrestrial from 1982, directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, uh, I actually just saw this film um, today in a, at the 35th anniversary screen screening presented by Fathom Events, so I got to see it on the big screen. Oh, nice! Uh, so it's the 35th anniversary of E.T. So. Um, before we get started, what, when did you first experience this film? Uh, okay, so here's the thing with E.T. This, this is kind of interesting because I remember seeing it for the first time on a VHS that was recorded, I think, off of television. I forgot what year it came on. I forgot what channel it was. I don't – because, of course, I was like five years old. I can't remember. But it's, somehow, some way, it was recorded off of TV, and I saw it. In 1992 or 93, it was one of those two years, and I have like very vague memories of that. I remember sitting in front of the TV, my mother and my uncle, one of them putting on the the VHS tape, which I believe we still have in the basement somewhere. We have that VHS tape, and just watching it and just being absolutely amazed by it, and and glued to the television and enjoying the movie. And the funny thing about it is that after that first time seeing it i don't think i saw it again for maybe like i hate to say like 15 20 years but it might have been that long like it was just one of those things that i guess growing up i just never wanted to revisit i felt like you know i've seen it once that's good enough for me like i never felt the itch to see that again like i would see like the uh you know when i'd go to like uh like when they show like the commercials for like universal studios like they show the et ride or like they show like whenever I see the Amblin Entertainment logo, it's the ET. They're like, oh, it's ET. That's cool, you know. And I never really felt like the urge to see it again until I maybe late high school, early college, when I started getting into movies again. And I was like, oh, ET. I haven't seen this in years. I gotta check this out again. And then I I I actually watched the VHS because at that time we still had the VCR plugged in. So I popped in that old tape, and I remember I I remember it being just as good if not better than seeing it the first time because it, it was almost like I was seeing it for the first time all over again because I didn't remember much of it from when I was five but then seeing it again like you know as an 18 19 year old it was like seeing it for the first time again it was just one of those um, amazing emotional experiences that like you only get with a with a few select films and ever since then like I've just kind of been like you know I'll watch it becomes like a yearly thing for me like I'll watch ET like once or twice a year you know, just because, because it's just such a great movie, such a classic, like the story of friendship. You know, it, it's it's you know the epitome of like family friendly sci-fi. You know, and when the uh, I think it was for the 30th anniversary when they what was that a few years ago, like 2012, I think it was when Target put out the Steelbook for ET. I was like, oh, I got to get my hands on this. That's when I started collecting Steelbooks again. That was one of the first ones that I bought when I started collecting my Steelbooks a few years ago, and. Uh, and my, my collection has grown extensively ever since. But, you know, it's one of the ones that I hang on the uh, on my shelf and I cherish because it's one of those just all-time classic films that, you know, I'll always, you know, I'll always try to watch. And it's one of those films I'm definitely going to pass on to. Uh, if I ever have kids, I'm, I'm definitely going to pass on to them. Yeah, this is a, a great family film. Um, pro- probably to me, probably the greatest family film of all time. 
Um, but uh, I remember watching E.T. It's funny because I don't have a clear memory of when I exactly I saw it. I have a memory of I, the first thing I can recall is elementary school. Um, I'm not sure if your school did this, but um, in my school growing up, you know, elementary school and middle school, uh, on the last day of school, they just didn't do anything. They just showed us, showed everybody a movie, and then let everyone out early. And that I sounds think, about right. Like. I, this was like second or third grade. I don't remember which one, which would have been 1987 or 88. Um, I remember they just kind of shoved everyone into the into the you know auditorium and, and screened E.T. Now, that's the first memory I have of viewing it. But I, I remember that I had seen it before that point. I just don't remember when I saw it. So, but that's my first memory of it. And then kind of like you, you know, I had seen it, you know, as I enjoyed it, but then I didn't really go back to it uh, until like years and years later. I think the last time I had seen it um, was they, they did a re-release in 2002 uh, for the 20th anniversary. Um, and we'll get to that, by the way. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, and I believe I, I went to see it with my sister... That sounds right, but anyway, that and, that and then and then I hadn't seen it again for a while. It's one of those films that like it's weird because it's such a part of culture and American pop culture that maybe you don't always think to watch it because you just know it, right? But I went through so many long, long, long periods before uh, watching. Like when I watched it today was the first time I watched it. And I don't in years. I don't know how long it's been. And you know when I watched it, and it, what it's nice about it is that when I watch it, I remember the story. I remember the beats, but it's still kind of surprising because I because I'm not fresh on it. So I'm like, oh right, this is when this happens. So um, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly when it was. Definitely in the '80s when I first saw it, but I can't tell you exactly. I don't have that memory. I know it was part of my childhood, but I don't have the exact memory of when I saw it the first time. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same vein with you too. It's like. I, I I truly think it is one of those things like in the past where like, you know, you feel like, OK, you've seen it and you just you just know the movie now. So you can kind of get away with going through these long periods of time. And for me, from between like, you know, 92, 93 to like, I think like 2005, 2006, that's a long time to go without seeing a movie. <laughs> so uh, so, you know, it's just one of those things where like, I guess kind of like to kind of piggyback off. You kind of just know the story already. But like when I saw it again for that quote-unquote first time back in like you know senior year or freshman in college whatever it was like it was just it just opened my eyes again to how great this movie was it was like seeing it for the first time all over again and you don't get that many chances to say that for movies um and you know it's just i i kind of just cherished it ever since because it was around that time i was already i was getting back into movies as like uh, as an art form and more than just entertainment and when i and so i i revisited et at the perfect time because now ever since then i kind of just cherish this movie yeah and um you know it's funny you said you experienced it again for the first time i almost had that feeling today um because as i said i went to the theater to see it i i got a free ticket through the uh i'm part of the turner classic movies backlot club uh shout out to them um but uh, they get free screenings once a month uh, to uh, like a classic film from Fathom Events, and this month's was uh, was E.T. I think last month's was Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which I didn't go see because I just uh, I was it, I, my schedule didn't line up. But uh, this month was E.T., and so I, I, I went to see it <clears throat> on the big screen. And interestingly enough, um, when I was standing in line to get my ticket redeemed, 
uh, pretty much everyone was going to see it. So I think it's gonna. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is gonna win the weekend as far as box office goes. But um, but when I got into the, so I thought to myself, oh, I'm probably gonna be one of the only people in there. And I got there just a little bit late. I got there right as the Universal logo came up, so I, I missed any previews or whatever if they had any. And I walked in. I was trying to find a seat, and it was packed. I had to sit all the way up front. Like I would say, it was three quarters full for a movie from 1982 that people can watch very easily at home. Uh, it, the movie was completely, you know, like a seventy-five percent full, which I thought was astonishing. Um, and it was all families, all families, like parents and their kids, right? And what what is kind of fantastic about this film is the movie still works. So, and what I mean by that is every moment of of comedy, every moment of inspiration, every moment of light, you know, uh, lightheartedness, every moment of of cheering absolutely worked in that theater for all the kids in that audience that were i'm assuming seeing it for the first time they laughed at all the right moments they cheered at all the right moments uh, whenever the at the very end whenever the the kids escape from the from the cops and they start flying on their bikes there was like such an eruption in the crowd that i couldn't believe that this this movie's over you know 35 years old and it's that's still listening that reaction i thought that was fantastic and i forgot how thrilling that whole sequence is to so the not just that one, but the even the one before when it's just the Ellie and E.T. at night when they're flying. Like, both sequels are just shot so beautifully, which we'll get to in a little bit. But it's just the ending with, with the John Williams score blaring. It's like it's just it's such a majestic moment, you know, in, in movies. And it's just it's just so thrilling to just every time I see those particular scenes, like I'm just so amazed and awe just how epic and magical it is. I mean, anytime you ever see. Any sort of like supercut or like, you know, a tri- like thing that's like a celebration of the movies or whatever, you always see that image. You always see the Elliot's bike with E.T. going across the moon. That is probably one of the most iconic images in in the history of cinema. I'd put that up there with uh, the the psycho shower scene. I'd put that up there with the in the Indiana Jones running away from the boulder. Uh, I, it's one of those most iconic images. I think like anybody knows what that is. Like, you watch that, and anybody sees that, they know exactly what that is. Yep. Um, even if you've never seen the movie, you know what that is. That's I, That has to be probably one of the most iconic images ever. Absolutely. Um, so let's get into uh, into the film here. Um, quick plot synopsis. E.T. is about a young suburban kid uh, longing for... Excuse me. A young suburban kid who's longing for more. Uh, He encounters a stranded, friendly alien that he names E.T. The two share a close bond, a telepathic bond, uh, and they develop a friendship. And when the government comes looking for E.T., the boy must race to get him back on his way home. Um, So I don't know where you want to start as far as the uh, as far as the plot goes. But there's a couple of things uh, from the beginning of the film that I kind of want to touch on. Um. I forgot at the very beginning that you kind of see the other ETs running around. Like uh, I, I'd never, for whatever reason, it's been so long since I'd seen it. Uh, I forgot that you see the other people of his of his species just kind of walking around at the very beginning. Yeah, I think I had forgotten that too because when I when I watched it today again, I was like, oh, they're, I guess like it's, it's his family or like or I don't know if they're, they're I mean they're the same species, but I don't know if they were like his brothers or whatever. And I mean, I, I think it infers like they're like botanists or something. They're taking samples of the plant life from Earth back to their planet, wherever they're from. And then uh, that's when when the uh, government people start showing up, kind of just randomly. Uh, that's when uh, when our our poor little ET gets stranded. <laughs> 
Yeah, he gets stranded, uh, and you know uh, his his family kind of goes off without him. Assuming it's his family, and then he ends up you know hiding in the woods where Elliot finds him. Um, so what I think is kind of right off the bat, you see uh, you see a scene of um, uh, Elliot's family, like his brother Mike and his two two or three friends. Uh, they're playing Dungeons and Dragons, very nineteen eighties. And uh, he, he, Elliot is tasked with going out and getting a pizza. Uh, and, you know, when he, get, when he finds the pizza, or when he gets the pizza, he hears noises in the back, thinks it's his dog. But then he finds, well, you don't see E.T. right away, but he, 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 uh, he throws a ball into, like, a shed, and the ball gets thrown back, which freaks him out. He drops the pizza and runs back in, which always, annoyed, which always annoys me. For whatever reason, out of everything <laughs> to remember about this movie... I always remember him dropping the stupid pizza and wondering, why did you drop the pizza? You don't have to drop it. Just run back in with the pizza. Exactly. And he steps on it. And he steps on it. And then when they go back outside, <laughs> like, they don't, they don't pick the pizza up. Like, they kind of just take a slice. And they're like, <laughs> and like, yeah, it's a little bit mushy, but it's still perfectly salvageable. It's still good. It's, it's like the Simpsons when, with the pig, bro. <laughs> it's just a little soggy. It's still good. It's still good. That's what I would have said about that pizza. It's absolutely still good. You could have eaten that pizza. Um, and and the other thing I noticed too was that uh, I kind of liked how uh, at least at least in 1982 it seemed like you know the kids that are playing Dungeons and Dragons aren't being portrayed as nerds they're portrayed as like regular kids so I kind of got a kick out of that because if you see that today like it, it would be like you know kids wearing glasses and having like you know asthma and being like kind of like the nerd stereotype here they just seem like regular kids playing Dungeons and Dragons and they seem like cool kids so I kind of like that. Yeah, I do like that. And, and something I noticed, and this is kind of one of those those things that I, uh, I find that makes '80s movies so much more different than than like current movies, uh, current kids movies, um, is that these kids were all sitting around smoking. Did you see that they were smoking? Yes. Like, that doesn't happen now. They're smoking. And they're the, swearing. And the mom was like walking into the room and not saying anything about it either. Yeah. So, like... they're, they're, they're swearing. They're calling each other a D-bag. <laughs> it's not something you've seen. Like 80s PG is so much different than, um, than yeah. like, 2017 PG. Yeah, like, my, like Michael's saying shit all, like every other word. <laughs> and it's a PG movie. I was like, oh, okay. Cool. Um, but, you know, it's pretty much established well on that the that, – that, this family, you know, their father isn't there. They're divorced uh, or separated, I believe, actually. And which kind of play, it's kind of important to, to the background of the film. Uh, Steven Spielberg has said in interviews that he kind of created the concept of E.T. when he was a kid. And he used to think, uh, and his parents got divorced, uh, he used to kind of be lonely. And he, he created an imaginary alien friend that he would talk to. It and and that, kind, that is kind of where the, the seed of E.T. began. That's true, yeah, and and it's one of those relatable stories, you know. I'm sure, you know, kids are divorced. It's not it's not easy. So, and I'm sure, kids like you know, those kids that have to grow up in that environment kind of go through similar situations. They kind of handle it differently. And uh, Spielberg decided to kind of you know, come up with an imaginary friend to get him, kind of get him through that uh that trauma, which I mean, which is typical, which is nothing wrong with it. But I just like how kind of that whole he was able to turn that into like the seed like you said for uh for the for the future which was which would become et right and uh you know he had he had he had his success early on with you know jaws and close encounters and and i think whenever he was um i believe whenever he was uh filming uh 1941 which is a terrible movie um he he, he... i i 
didn't know that movie existed until I was researching E.T. Really? That's oh, when I found out about the existence so, of 1941. It's like, it's funny because, you know, that is right around the time of, like, his big success. You know, he has, he has Jaws, then he goes Close Encounters, then he has Indiana Jones, then he has E.T., and then he has another Indiana Jones, you know? So he's got, you know, he produces Back to the Future, he produces uh, Goonies, right? So he's got this long string of successes, and right in the middle, there's 1941, which is this massive flop, massive failure of a film, which is, and if you've ever seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's a bad movie. But, um, so he, he there was production problems in that film, so, and he was, because uh, he was going to go from that to a movie called Night Skies, which is another uh, kind of alien movie kind of formed from the concept of E.T., but this time they're going to be, like, alien attackers, uh, and there's going to be an alien invasion, and that's what he was actually working on, but then 1941's problems kind of shifted his focus, and he ended up having to abandon that. Which is interesting. I, I mean, I saw the cast list for 1941. I was like, that, that, that's a pretty good cast, but, you know, it, it made me curious about the movie because I had never heard of it, but now... It sounds like you're telling me to stay away. <laughs> I would stay away. I mean, it's interesting to watch from a, like, curiosity standpoint, but it's supposed to be a comedy. And when you watch it, you don't laugh. I mean, that's the problem. It's not funny. It's a really bad film. Um, and I'm pretty sure he knows it's a bad film. I'm, I don't think I'm speaking at a turn here. I'm pretty sure he's aware that it's a bad film. And bro, bro, Zemeckis and Bob Gale wrote it. That's what, that's what, makes, it a, that's what makes that interesting. <laughs> You know, you have like all you have the, the two alphas, Robert Zemeckis, Bob Gale, and then even John Milius was a, was part of the story as well. And Spielberg directed it, and it's not like above average. That that's very uh, that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's it's a really it's a really bad movie. Um, <laughs> uh, so so that kind of ended up getting dropped. And actually, I think that almost uh, from some some of the other research I did, that kind of got developed into Poltergeist, which has nothing to do with the aliens, but it was a kind of the family in danger kind of concept. Uh, that was developed into Poltergeist, and then E.T. itself kind of kind of developed uh, while Spielberg was working on Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, and he co-wrote that with uh, Melissa Matheson, who I believe just passed away just recently, like a year or two ago. Um, oh. Yeah, and uh, and then she kind of turned the film into more, into more of the family-friendly oriented film that it became. Right. Um, apparently it did uh, there was, they, they had taken it to a studio first uh, that they had a deal with uh, I believe it was Columbia and Columbia uh, basically said you know we kind of signed on on this you know alien attack movie and you, you gave us a quote wimpy Walt Disney movie so they passed on it and it eventually ended up at Universal and boy I'm sure that Columbia was probably <laughs> given that the amount of money they ended up making Columbia probably was kicking themselves for that one there's a couple of there's a couple of uh, entities. I don't want to say people because they're not people. There's a couple of entities that ended up kicking themselves after uh, the release of ET. One of them was Columbia Pictures, definitely, and then the other was uh, was M and M's. We'll get to that in a little bit. So, <laughs> um, we get into it now. And by the way, I will have you know, while I was in the theater today, I was eating Reese's Pieces. Of course, <laughs> but <laughs> that, <laughs> and I'm sure. Ninety-nine percent of the other people were eating Reese's Pieces as well. I'm, I, I would be surprised if they sold out of Reese's Pieces at your screening, but I don't know. But what? Like, uh, now, 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 be honest. Did did you actually support the theater and buy it from them, or did you bring it in in your pocket? Oh, yeah. I always buy stuff from the theater. I never bring stuff in. I never bring stuff in. 
Uh, well, I, I can't I, I can't say that I always do that. Like I, most of the time, I will. Like ninety percent, I will. But there's times when I'm like, okay, I I can get a much bigger bag of M and M's for half the price of this regular bag. So I'm I'm just doing what's economically feasible for me. So <laughs> not all the time, but sometimes. This is why theaters are dying. You. That's you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll, so... I'll always buy like a drink, though. Always <laughs> buy a drink. It's just the, the, the actual snack will vary whether it's from them or from somewhere else. <laughs> so um, back to the candy. So Mars, who, uh, who's the company that produces M&M's, uh, they didn't really want to be associated with the film. They thought that the E.T. puppet would, would frighten children. Um, so they passed on it, but then Reese's Pieces uh, kind of basically called them and said, hey, we'll, we'll do it. Uh, I think Reese's Pieces uh, Hershey. I believe that Hershey owns that. Yeah, it's Hershey. Um, and then as a result, uh, the film uh, of the film being so enormously popular, uh, Reese's Pieces, which I, I, from my understanding, now I was around back then, but I was two years old, so I don't remember. <laughs> but uh, from my understanding, Reese's Pieces is not what it is now. It's like a, it's like a kind of an afterthought candy. And then after this film came out, it became, uh, it, it, I think the uh, the research I saw said it, it jumped up 65% in sales, uh, and then it became much a much more known quantity. And for the record, Reese's Pieces are better than M&M's anyway. Uh, I don't know. I think I'll fight you on that one. <laughs> no, man. Reese's Pieces are delicious. They're my favorite. See, here's the thing. I would have got, even if I wasn't watching E.T., I'd eat, it, I'd eat Reese's Pieces because they're my favorite. I honestly prefer the peanut butter cups over the Reese's Pieces. Honestly, that's just, that's just personal taste, bro. But compare that to M&M's, and M&M's will always win in my book. So, <laughs> eh, well, We'll have to agree to disagree. Agree to disagree, yep. We'll agree to disagree on that one. Um, But anyway, so... Back to the film. So uh, after after Elliot kind of freaks out and sees E.T., uh, nobody in his family believes him. Uh, his his mom doesn't believe him. His his brother and his friends don't believe him. Um, so he's kind of stay. You know, they also forget the pizza in the yard, or whatever. Um, they so he kind of stays up at night and he he got, he goes out and he tries to discover. Uh, he tries to find E.T. Um, and then after I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm condensing a little bit here, but after luring him with some Reese's pieces, uh, he eventually get he eventually lures ET back to his home. Right, right, and uh, and I think this is the part where like uh, like he's sitting out in the yard, and then ET shows up and he lays like the Reese's pieces like on his on his chair, or his blanket or whatever, and then that's when he gets the idea. Okay, maybe I can get him into my room. So he starts laying more Reese's pieces out, and then uh, eventually like. E.T. follows him all the way up to his room and uh, I think that's where um, it, it's funny too because I was like uh, when I was watching it today because it was I think the first time in like a year or two that I was watching E.T. so first time I saw it today like he was walking to the room he shuts the door and then he starts like knocking all this shit over like oh my god <laughs> what are you doing bro and then I think he I think if I'm not mistaken he sits on like his chair or something and then he like he just falls asleep staring at him and then, uh, and that's when the, I think the next scene is when he, uh, fakes his illness to yes. stay home, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. With the brilliant, so uh, from there. with the brilliant, uh, putting the thermometer on the, uh, on the light bulb, uh, a trick that every kid knows. And they probably learned from watching ET. It's that one. And then, uh, putting the, uh, putting the thermometer, like hot water or something. Yeah. That and the other, the too. other one I learned from Ferris Bueller was, uh, licking your palms. So it seems like you're sweaty. And yes. I always took it. A, I always took it a step further. I'd lick my palms and rub it on my face. 
uh, so it seemed like I was sweating. That You're always sweating, that always yeah. pretty that always worked pretty well too. Yep. So, um, so I you learn how to get sick from eighties movies. You learn how to fake sick from eighties oh, movies. Of course. Uh, but yeah, so he falls asleep, um, and you know he fakes being sick the next day so he can hang out with ET. Uh, and you know what follows is you know some some funny scenes of him trying to give him food and the dog scares him. So you got some 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 hijinks there. Uh, and then then he finally kind of decides to show uh, both his brother and his sister, uh, played by Drew Barrymore, I believe her first acting role was it her first acting role? Was it? Okay. Hmm. Uh, you might be right on that. I'm gonna check it out now. But I thought she may have done a couple other things before that. Let me let me find out. Let's see. Uh, it was her second movie. Oh, was okay. uh, well, she was, was in one? Altered States in 1980. That was oh, Altered States. That's one. a that's a weird movie. Have you ever seen that movie? No, I have not. It, it's it's pretty entertaining. Uh, it, I think it has William Hurt. Um, that is correct. <laughs> it, yeah, I think it's William Hurt, and it's about um, people putting themselves in like isolation tanks to like get in touch with their primal side or something. It's been a long time since I watched it, but I remember it being pretty good. Uh, I, I think I have to catch up with that one because it was a pretty good yeah, movie. Yeah. Um, Sensory deprivation research conducted in isolation tanks under the influence of psychoactive drugs. Yes, <laughs> like LSD. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah, uh, um, it was also William Hurt's debut as well. So William Hurt and Drew Barrymore. It was their first movies. Okay, that one. all right. So uh, oh, pretty cool. Um, but okay, so it was one of her, one of her first movies, uh, and. Uh, She's, For some reason, though, I thought Firestarter was before this, but it was the one after E.T. that yeah. she did. But I thought that was the, the one. I thought that one was before E.T. But now I see I was I was wrong about that. So. Um, I haven't seen. Anyway. I don't think I've seen Firestarter in its entirety. I know it. I, I have the images in my head, but I don't know if I've ever actually sat and watched it start to finish. I meant to. I, it's a. I haven't seen it either, but I, I've heard things. I, I I figured it was something to have in my collection. And I almost bought it from Shout Factory, but uh, I was like, uh, "Let me, let me not do that yet. It's let me a, actually maybe see it first. It's a Stephen King per, uh, movie, right? Yes, the, the, the adaptation. Yeah, adaptation. Yeah. Uh, boy, he like he really likes his girls that can control things with their minds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. Uh, anyway, uh, so um, Drew Barrymore really kind of adorable in this film. Um, and uh, and Mike, uh, his older brother, end up. Uh, end up uh, kind of getting in on the secret uh they try to tell you know it's interesting because you know they try to when they try to tell her to keep it a secret and, and elliot says you know oh because only parent uh, because only little kids can see can see him i kind of wondered about this because now it's supposed to be kind of a joke because then she says oh you got to be kidding me or something what does she say something yeah like that, or get out of here or something and it's supposed to be a, a comedy line but i kind of wondered if that is something they they kind of wanted to play with because if you one thing I noticed this for, for the first time ever as I watched this film is that for the first like three quarters of the movie, you don't see any adults' faces other than the mother. You only see everybody's like from like the weight from like the torso down. You never see their faces. Like you never see the teacher's face. You never see any mm-hmm. of the cops' faces, the doctors' faces. Not like everyone except the mother. So I wonder if that was there was something that he was trying to say with that. I don't, I'm, I'm not really sure. Well, the I think the official story is that it was more meant to be a tribute to like the old like Mary Melodies, Tex Avery cartoons, which would do that. When I first saw it, I thought of Charlie Brown. When I when yeah, I, I was thinking of they Charlie wouldn't show Brown the adults too. there either. I was thinking of Charlie Brown too. 
Um, I, I read some sort of thing that some, some people are, are, are opining. This is not official, but some people are opining that it's, it's meant to like um, make you see the world from the kid's point of view. Um, I haven't heard that from Spielberg himself, but I, I remember reading it somewhere uh, in my in my coverage in my research. Um, but it, I just it was very obvious once you like once you were sitting there and watching for it. It's very obvious you don't actually see an adult's face other than um, other than uh, D Wallace the mother the mom yeah uh, until the scene where um, E T is dying and they're and the doctor trying to revive him and they all take their masks off. That's the right. first time you see an adult's face. I thought that was. It was an interesting choice. Yeah, and when we get to that to the scene where like the government shows up at the house, there's some pretty wacky stuff there too with like the, with the space the NASA suits, which I want to get to. So that's gonna that's gonna be funny, but we'll get to that. Uh, yeah. So so basically, what follows here is um, kind of just a bunch of hijinks uh, uh, of of ET kind of you know getting used to his surroundings and like the kids kind of asking him questions. They this is whenever they find out that he's an alien. Uh, they figure out because he, he, you know, he keeps pointing to the skies, uh, indicating that's where he's from. Uh, he just demonstrates the telepathic powers by kind of—I don't know what they have on that that map of the that that map of the solar system, like the big balls. But I don't know what kind of balls they are. I, I thought they were like potatoes at first, but they're like different colors. I don't know. But he basically—I think they were like Play-Doh. Oh, is it Play-Doh? Okay. So he makes the, he makes them move like a solar system, so they get the idea. Oh, he's from outer space, and you know he's got special powers. And I think this is right around the time that Elliot feels the like the telepathic connection with him. Right, right, and then that kind of you kind of see more of that the next day when he goes to school, which is probably one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie, like the whole sequence between like the the kind of the juxtaposition they're showing ET at home, and then how what he's doing telepathically to. Uh, to Elliot, it is pretty awesome. So this is one of those. Speaking of that scene, this is one of those moments where, um, <laughs> where the the movie definitely is working on a um, uh, uh, on a twenty seventeen audience because uh, you know you see this teacher and he's giving you know he's giving up the frogs uh, and he's giving up the chloroform to to the oh to that the kids. pissed me off seeing that again so, today. That, so <laughs> that they could so that they could like knock the frogs out so they could dissect them and then everyone in the audience is going oh no oh no and then like when Elliot releases them there was a big cheer in the audience when all the frogs get loose so uh, that totally still works uh, on a 2017 that, that pissed me off bro. I'll tell you why because when I was in high school when I did the, the frog dissection that was I think when I was a sophomore 2003 bro in 2003 they gave them to you already dead they yeah, don't give, get, do none I, of that chloroform stuff they give them to us because I want to say the other four letter word but I'll say the, the chloroform stuff they didn't. They never did that. They were already dead. All I have to do is just start cutting them up. There was no <laughs> killing involved, no knocking them out involved. It was just they were already dead. Yeah, when, the, and I was like, so back then in the eighties, you, you had to kill the frogs first. I guess so. I mean, I that's kind of screwed up. We dissected frogs in seventh grade, I think, which would have been for me ninety three. 92 or 93 um and they were already dead like they they came in like formaldehyde or something and then yes that's yeah. same thing with me yeah exactly and um i remember this, this is kind of a sore subject for me because i remember i had a partner who was like she was like really skeeved out by it and would not help me with the project so like every so like i only so you know you needed two people to do it and like i i didn't i never finished the dissection because I could only I, I was by myself and I didn't have a second pair of hands working right, 
And what what annoys me about that is not that she got upset about it, because I understand that. I, I didn't really want to do it either, but I did it. I sucked it up and did it, because, you know, uh, you're supposed, you know, that's what you're... You're being graded on you know, it, bro. But, yeah. but they gave people an out. They said if you have strong moral objections to this or if you or if you have a weak stomach or whatever, you know, we can give you a – you have to get this form signed by your parents and then you can take like a, an alternate quiz or something to, to – so at least you're still learning something but you don't have to do the dissection, right? Right. So this girl could have taken that out and she didn't and then she ended up being my partner and then didn't do anything. So – it, it, the the story has a good justice happy ending in that like I ended up getting an A and she got an F so um, <laughs> so at least it wasn't like I was, about to I was say, bro like if you were a team you would have to share the grade but yeah I at least yeah, at least I didn't that. have to share the grade um, but anyway so you start seeing the the effects of the 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 telepathic uh, connection between Elliot in uh, and ET in this pretty humorous scene where uh, ET's kind of roaming around the house looking for things to eat and he finds beer in the fridge. Uh, starts drinking the beer, which makes Elliot drunk in class, um, and it's pretty—I mean, it's pretty hammy drunk acting. But it's—I mean, it's pretty—it's still pretty amusing. <laughs> he starts—he uh, starts slouching in his chair, and then he starts like oogling like the girl he likes behind him, which is—and <laughs> you can tell she's schemed out by it. Like she's, she's giving him weird looks, but uh, but it's awesome. Or like Henry Thomas, bro, it's Elliot. He he hammed it up, but it was awesome, bro. I think Henry Thomas. I think he is probably like that's probably one of the greatest like child acting performances. I mean that he's such a good actor in this film. No, he is. He is. He he's really he's really good here. Like he he had a he had a great emotional range when we got to like the later scenes. You know, with the uh, with the government people. You know, like you know he was. I almost want to say he's like the stand-in for like all of us as kids. You know, and, and that's the hallmark of, like, great child actors when you tell these kinds of stories is that you need to be able to see, like, a part of yourself as a kid in that person. If, and, you know, the way he's able to bring out that performance in him, like, we're able to do that. We're able to see parts of ourselves in Ellie. And that's one of the things that I really liked about the, the new It movie is that, you know, with all with the, the, the kids were, were incredible, by the way, all those kids. And, you know, all those kids in some form or some way, you know you were one of those kids or had a, had the traits of one of those kids when you were growing up. And that's what made everybody so relatable. Same thing here with Elliot. Like he just brings out like those memories in you of you being a kid. And he just brings out like that, the, the traits he had, he possesses those traits at some point you had as well, which, which makes everything work. And that's all due to his performance, the way he sells it. Right. Um, so back, back to the, back to the school, you know, Elliot kind of still channeling ET, He's starting to feel kind of, he's starting to kind of feel more sympathetic to, to these frogs, and he decides to kind of let them all loose, uh, and and he lets all the frogs loose, and it causes chaos to the class. And uh, one of the things that I only got, I only got the joke now because uh, because you know it's been like at least ten years since I'd seen the movie, and I but is the scene uh, from the John Wayne film, The Quiet Man. Yeah, which is referenced in here as ET is watching it on TV, and there's a very iconic uh, shot from that film where uh, uh, Maureen O'Hara is 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 getting blown, kind of trying to leave uh, with like a very gusty wind, and then John Wayne pulls her back and pulls and pulls her into this very passionate kiss. And as ET is watching that, Elliot does the same thing with the blonde girl from the <laughs> with back. the girl, bro. And he stands on top of the dummy, bro. He's, he stands on top of the fat kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That was awesome, man. Was uh, and then that's whenever the teacher comes and pulls away. 
Yes, and then and then, and here's the, the the tragic part about the sequence. Now, the next scene following this was supposed to be awesome, and Spielberg cut it out. So that was uh, that was very tragic. But I think he did it for good reason. But I would love I would have loved to have seen it like put put back somehow. Yeah. So because if you guys don't know, the next scene following this would have been awesome. Yeah. So if you don't know what we're talking about, there was an originally scene. There was an original scene of uh, Elliot in the principal's office. You know, basically you know, getting in trouble for what he did. And um, the principal was played by none other than uh, Han Solo and Indiana Jones himself, Harrison Ford. Uh, and apparently it was just too distracting, so he took it out of the... Out of the... Which, which, I mean, I don't blame him for that, because it, it really would have been. <laughs> and the thing is, I've seen... The, I remember seeing the scene in context, because there were times in the 80s and in the 90s when they would play movies on, like, HBO and TV. Sometimes they would put deleted scenes back in, like... Have you ever noticed that? Like, if yes, they're, they're very are, weird. Like, there's a couple movies where they still do that. Like, I, I remember we talked last year uh, when we talked about Halloween. They filmed scenes specifically for the the Halloween version, uh, the TV version of Halloween. Um, but at some movies, I remember, for example, for the longest time, I thought that the movie Big had a different ending than it actually did because in cause for I remember seeing the movie Big. And on TV, I never saw it in the theaters. I saw it on TV on like HBO or whatever. And the ending—I'm not sure if you remember how it ends—but in, in the in the real ending, the theatrical ending, uh, it's just you know he, he he becomes a kid again, and then he just he has a normal life, and he's walking down the road with his friend, and then that's it. But that's in, it, yeah. but in the in this other, there's another version where the the woman that he like was with in, as an adult makes a wish to come back as a teenager too and she like meets him back in, in in like high school or whatever so i remember seeing that version for the longest time and and then never seeing it again and when i got the dvd like not seeing it and that and that was just like i guess i'm like crazy that that maybe i just didn't maybe i just thought that never like i dreamed it up but then i, I remember reading up on it like wikipedia or something and it was like no that was actually shot and they never actually put it in the theatrical version but they it was a cut scene but on some TV editions, they did put it in. And I remember seeing that Harrison Ford scene before, uh, and they had, you know, re-edited that back in for, like, TV sometimes. Yeah, they still do that today with some movies. Like, I've noticed, like, on some of the Harry Potter films that are on TV, they do that. They did it with Jingle All the Way with some of the TV airings. Oh, There's a few movies movie where they still do that. Was that? <laughs> because we need that movie longer. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, you know, you know. I loved every second of it. Oh God, I hate that movie. Um, but yeah, anyway. so uh, <laughs> um, so we kind of skip forward a little bit, and uh, while ET was home, one of the things he was doing was kind of kind of researching Earth culture or whatever. He, he kind of got a, got the idea of what the phone was. Uh, he was getting taught English by by Gertie Drew Barrymore. And uh, he tells Elliot that he wants to phone home. He wants to communicate to his people that he's still down here. So uh, Elliot and uh, and Mike kind of gather up some scrap electronics, and uh, E.T. with his alien wisdom <laughs> makes a, a interstellar communicator out of garbage, basically. Yeah, <laughs> and they use. I mean, what do you use? He used like an umbrella. He used like Mister Spell. Which I, I believe it's Mr. Spell or whatever it's called, like from Toy Story. I think it's that, or maybe it's some other device. I think but, it's I think it's um, Mr. Spell. And they use like a tin can or some other stuff. They used uh, aluminum foil. They used uh, uh, a record player with a, like a, a like a buzz saw on it. 
buzzsaw so, thing, yeah. So before, I mean, before we get to that point, um, you know, the, he he had actually cut himself on the buzzsaw and started bleeding, and ET this, this demonstrated another one of his powers, which was uh, an, an ability to heal. So he kind of healed, um, he healed his finger, and he, you know, whenever he said "ouch," you know. Uh, which that ouch comes back later in the film, in the climax of the film. Which is a great gag when it comes back, yes. Um, but then, uh, yeah, so then they get the idea, okay, we need him to go out to the to where his ship was and have him communicate, but how are we going to get him out there without being seen? So luckily, Halloween is coming up, and uh, they put him under a, uh, a ghost costume pretending that he's Gertie, and they kind of take him trick-or-treating for a little bit there. Yes, and uh, they they kind of get him past his mom by having having her think that's uh, that's Gertie and putting her in the uh, in the ghost outfit and just putting the blank sheet over him. <laughs> and uh, no, no, the the part that I liked seeing it recently now is I really paying attention to the conversation I guess that the mom is having with uh, with Michael in the other room about like you know you're not gonna go out there as a terrorist They're like as a terrorist <laughs> and then. When you actually see him, he's, it, it's, he's, what is he supposed to be? Like a, I thought he was more like a clown or something, like one of those like like hobo clowns. But I don't know what thought that he was. was a terrorist I, I don't know how that's a terrorist. I gotta be honest. He had a knife through his head, and he had like a hobo beard, uh, and he had camouflage pants. Like I don't know how that's a terrorist exactly. Exactly, but the but that's where the joke comes back. So like, ET thinks that the knife that's in his head is real. So he starts going, ouch, ouch. And then Michael's like, it's not real. Just leave me alone, which is a great scene. Yeah. Uh, and you get another get another fun gag here when, um, uh, whenever uh, they're out trick-or-treating and then uh, E.T. sees a little little Yoda guy, little guy dressed up as Yoda. <laughs> that was a great mask, by the way. That it's was a great a, mask. Like, that looks like great a production mask. mask. It looks like they got it off the set of Empire and, and put it on Exactly. The Maybe he called his buddies up at ILM and, and got the, uh, he got the Yoda mask, the real Yoda mask. <laughs> um, so uh, this is where we get the iconic scene. So once they kind of get out of there and, you know, they, they kind of separate. Uh, Elliot goes uh, back into the forest and starts, you know, driving through the forest on his bike. And uh, he gets to, uh, like, a cliff where he's like, oh, we have to walk from here. But then E.T. kind of takes over with his, you know, telekinetic powers, I guess is what you'd call them. And it kind of right. starts making his bike fly. And that's when we see the iconic image of him flying across the moon. And again, big cheer in the audience when you see that, when you, when you saw that scene. Because everyone's seen that scene a hundred times, you know, and... Uh, to see it in context is just, and to hear uh, Henry Thomas's kind of an exclamation of joy is—it's actually yeah. happening right now. I have it on in the background as I'm watching, as I'm doing the show. Uh, hearing his exclamation of joy is just so infectious. It's such a—it's such a like w- like a lighthearted like like heartwarming uh, movie moment. Yeah, like I said, it's just—it's it, made even more epic by like you know the shots of of the uh, of. Like, you know, you see the epic shot of him crossing the moon and then the shot of them descending. It just looks so epic. It's shot such a, like such an epic way that it just it just enhances, like, your feeling watching it. And then hearing the John Williams score, it's just, it's just perfect, absolutely perfect. So, um... So they stay all night in the uh, all night in the in like the the clearing in the woods, uh, trying to contact his family. Um, but one thing that we haven't mentioned is that as time keeps going on, ET, who's not meant to be part of, uh, on this kind of uh, on this like terrain, 
he starts getting sicker and sicker. And because he's got that connection with Elliot, Elliot also starts to get sicker and sicker. Um, and, you know, Elliot wakes up and E.T.'s missing. He, he comes home sick as a dog. Uh, he comes to bed and he asks Mike's to go find him. And Mike ends up finding E.T. kind of almost white from, from being so deep, yeah. like, so sick. And uh, they bring him home uh, where they finally introduce him to their mom who freaks out. <laughs> and, and you know what? Like, deservedly so. I mean, that would, as a parent, you probably would freak out if you saw your kid hang, like hanging out with like a, uh, an unknown creature of unknown origin. Oh, whatever that is. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly. Uh, but you see him dying and you see that Elliot is also dying. Um, and then this is when we get the, the NASA moon men. Yes, they just bro, the way that whole scene is set up. I almost I just laughed just out of the sheer kind of ridiculousness of it because it's like okay, so she opens the door and there's a there's a NASA guy, there's a NASA astronaut, quote unquote. Well, it's not an astronaut, but it's one of the the government scientists, I guess, in the spacesuit. And then she's walking backwards, right, because the 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 spacesuit person is entering the room, and then all of a sudden, someone from another spacesuit guy comes from behind and just kind of yells and scares her like it's a horror movie. And I saw that. I just started laughing again at how kind of silly that is because it's like, ah! <laughs> it's like, because if you're thinking about it, this was real life. If this was government agents, they would just be walking in. They wouldn't be trying to, like, scare you from behind and shit, you know? It's, it's, it was just so, like, kind of Hollywoody and, and, and pretty hilarious. And then you see, like, the guys breaking through the windows. <laughs> like, it's some sort of alien invasion, which like, I guess that's what he was trying to go for. And like it, like it's very silly, but it's but you know it, it's effective though. Like you see, like you know the the government are the heels in this movie, and you know it, it is kind of like I mean I'm sure for little kids it was probably a scary scene, but like looking at it now, it, it, it's pretty that. ridiculous. I remember being freaked out by that, honestly. Yeah. Um, and then shortly thereafterwards, we get the uh, the government coming into town in like a very like. Gestapo like way, yes. <laughs> you know, like I got, I got the stormtrooper slash SS vibe. From, yeah, from the, their that. faces covered, like you can barely just see their silhouettes. You know, marching down the street and then putting all the the netting and the the uh, whatever you call that, like the plastic around the house and everything like that. Um, and yeah, you you see, this is when we we just see that uh, the government has come in. They've taken over, and what Elliot feared originally that the government would kind of come in and try to, you know, take over E.T. is exactly what happens. And um, the government, you know, the, these government scientists, they realize that there is a connection between them and they start kind of observing Elliot as well as they're both kind of in this in this state. Uh, and then as E.T. starts dying, actually, um, Elliot starts getting a little better. And I wonder, I, I don't know, they never quite explained that, but my, I, I always took, I, I, what I took it in this view and what I took it to mean was that he E.T. didn't want to make Elliot suffer, so he broke the connection between them. Yeah, it, it almost seems like, I think it's implied, too, that, like, you know, E.T., like, willingly, like, severed the connection just so that Elliot could get better. And then uh, that's what ended up, I think, even, I think that's what kind of accelerated, like, E.T.'s, like, health demising to the point where, like, he was pretty much all but dead at that point. And, but he, I think he, it was consciously decided that he would do that so that at least to save Elliot. Um, interesting bit of trivia for that, for that scene as, um, as Elliot gets better and then they start to try to try, try to revive E.T. All those doctors that were trying to revive E.T. Uh, were not actors. They were actual emergency room doctors who 
were using like the kind of uh, procedures they would do use to like try to revive a patient like that. So Spielberg apparently wanted authenticity, so uh, he got a bunch of doctors to to do that part, which I think was kind of interesting. That is interesting, yeah. Because I mean, the, the easy way could have been just you know have actors be there and just read the lines, but you know, super looking for that you know that realness. You know, he didn't think that uh, that actors could like make the stuff they had to do or had to say believable. So like, why don't you just get the real thing? And that's what he did. Um, so yeah, so, uh, E.T. dies, and, uh, Elliot, you know, everyone is sad, Elliot's sad, um, and, uh, you finally get the, the guy who's just known as Keys, because you just see his keys dangling everywhere, he, he finally comes, he comforts Elliot, and, you know, he, he asks him if he wants to be alone, and Elliot kind of has some time alone with E.T. and his, basically his corpse, um, and as Elliot is, is, uh, crying, he starts walking out after he said his goodbye, and then he sees these flowers that E.T. had kind of brought back to life. They start coming back to life, and he looks back at E.T., and his heart is glowing again. Uh, and this is because his family, his, his species, whatever you want to call them, have heard him, and they're coming back, and that is reviving him. Yes. Yeah, so, so that, they get to the, so when that happens, there's kind of a bit of like a little bit of comic relief, because you've been through pretty much an emotional journey at this, an emotional roller coaster, because you've had, you know, yeah, the government show up, then you have, like, E.T. basically dying, you know, everybody's upset, Elliot's upset, and then, you know, all of a sudden he kind of, he gets revived because, you know, his family or, or his species, like you said, are coming back to get him. But then you get a little bit of comic relief, you know, with uh, Elliot, like, Elliot, like, not even a minute ago was, you know, crying for E.T., like, and then all of a sudden I tell him to shut up again, which is hilarious. It's like, he followed home. Photo's like, can you shut up already? Or can you be quiet? And he's trying to, like, hide him from the government people again so that they don't realize he's alive. Like, phone home, phone home, Elliot. He's like, shut up. And he closes the thing on him, which I thought was funny. Um, yeah, that is, it was good. And he, it's just great because he keeps, like, pretending to cry. And yeah. Then, um, <laughs> keep pretending to cry. And then... Uh, um, and the, 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 the guy trying to, try to escort him out of the room, he's like, ah, wah, and then he sees the flowers again, like, 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 uh, kind of grow a little bit more, and he goes, he, he kind of does this, like, ha ha, and then goes back into, like, a laugh again, or a cry. Into crying, yeah, that's um, awesome. So, in, in, in logic that really only works in kids' movies, uh, Mike and Elliot steal the, the government truck uh, with E.T. Yeah. on it. And um, and to, never to try to get him out to that forest, right? So they Mike, who's barely doesn't even have a driver's license, drives a truck while e, while Elliot's in the back with ET, and uh, with but that little like that plastic tunnel thing with that that allows the the scientists to go back and forth. They're still connected to it, so they're driving down the street with this thing, and Elliot, you know, detaches it from the van. And again, one of those things like I'm not joking. As soon as he detaches them from the van, everyone in the audience started clapping and cheering. Yeah, I, honestly, yeah, I get that the government people are the heels, but I felt bad for those two guys. They're just being dragged around everywhere, probably through uh, through no will of their own. Like I'm sure they didn't want to be there, and uh, they all. I I think their intention not it was not to get E.T. but just to some find some way to get out of there. And I think when Elliot released the the hatch or whatever, like that was good for that. I think that's what they wanted. But you know, I just kind of felt bad for them getting them, them getting dragged around everywhere. It was, but it was funny. That was pretty good. Um, and they also, um, Mike and Elliot also kind of uh, uh, enlist their, the help of those three guys from the beginning of the film. You never really see, other than like one other scene where they make a joke about Uranus. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> they get like those two scenes, uh, and then they help them escape uh, on their bikes. They they bring the um, Elliot's bike and and uh, Mike's bike with them, uh, and then they they one of the more exciting sequences in the movie is like you see all these five kids with ET in the basket running away from cops yep. on their bikes, uh, and it's funny because. In retrospect, when you watch this film, and like as an adult, or as you know, it's like it's clear that like you know they're they're shooting these these kids in like really you know long like uh, from uh, in wide shots because all of a sudden they're like BMX racers, <laughs> like doing jumps and stuff. <laughs> um, but you know they go on a big chase sequence, and then uh, looks when it looks like they're about to get caught <laughs> with cops with guns, by the way, with shotguns. Um, yes. You see uh, uh, E.T. kind of do the, the whole magic flying bike thing and gets them all up in the air. Audience goes nuts as the, as the kids find the, uh, get into the, the forest and, and find the spaceship. Yeah, yeah. When I, they, they even did a, a close-up of, uh, of the shotgun. I was like, uh-oh, it's about to get real here. <laughs> I was like, is this really rated PG? The cops are about to shoot kids. And, uh, and yeah, and then E.T. does his little telekinesis uh, doohickey. And then they uh, they all start flying, and they fly across the sun this time, which is another iconic sequence. And then uh, they get to the to get to where the spaceship lands. Um, and oh, shit, what was I going to say? I had something for it. Oh, I got it. In three, two, one. And uh, this is probably a good time to bring up the uh, 20th anniversary edition of of, of this scene, um, where. <laughs> Uh, Steven Spielberg in a page out of George Lucas's book. <laughs> I was about to make that joke too. <laughs> he, he dabbled very briefly for a brief time in George Lucas read. Decided, yeah, he, he decided he didn't want the cops to have guns because he thought that might be too extreme for those cops to have guns for a bunch of kids. So he changed them to flashlights. And I will, I will, I will say that thankfully the screening I went to was the original cut with guns. Yes, and I actually wasn't it walkie talkies. Oh, it was walkie talkies. You're right. It was walkie talkies, not flashlights. I have seen that version, and I think it was the 20th anniversary version. Uh, I mean, it was the 20th anniversary version, but I think that's whenever I saw it. Whenever I uh, in theater, I remember seeing that in theaters and thinking it was really lame. I don't think I've ever seen that cut, it's and dumb. I don't think it's on the on the uh, 30th anniversary Blu-ray. I think it's just the original 82 cut. Which is good. That's the only cut that should exist. But uh, I know I heard about this uh, 20th anniversary cut a few years ago. This is only a few years ago that I heard about it. And I never really made an effort to track it down because of like that, that scene in particular. But I'm sure there's, like, there's extra stuff thrown in that I really don't need to see. And even Spielberg says, like, if you want E.T., just watch the original. So <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm trying to see what else changed. Uh, I know that they, they cleaned up some of the special effects for the 20th anniversary um, let's see, they, okay, uh, it seems not shot, but not included in the original version we introduced. These included E.T. taking a bath, and Gertie telling Mary that Elliot went to the forest in Halloween. Uh, he, Spielberg did not add the scene featuring Harrison Ford, feeling it would reshape the film too drastically. Hmm. Yeah, you see, so, like, even, like, I'll watch it if Harrison Ford is back in the movie, but since he's not, like, no thanks. Uh, looks like you can, if you bought the two-disc DVD that came out in 2002, you got both versions of the film. 
You know what? I think I have that. I, not me. I think my mother actually has that DVD, the 20th anniversary. I had that Ma- DVD, and I when I got the Blu-ray, I, I, um, I got rid of that DVD, so I don't have that DVD anymore. I'm going to actually go to the basement tomorrow if I have some time and, uh, and find out. Because I think my mother bought that DVD for herself because this is one of her favorite movies as well. So I might actually have that cut somewhere in this house, but uh, but we'll, I'll find out. But not that I'll, I'm going out of my way to see it, but you know, just in case I ever get curious one day, I, I, I would like to know that it's here somewhere that I could just pop it in. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so they they get to the forest and uh, um, and the uh, the aliens come down, and this is where we get. Probably one of the most heart wrenching scenes of uh, of my childhood watching this film, uh, and and watching it again now, it's it's does it it's, it still has pretty much the same effect uh, as as ET says goodbye to to Elliot and Mike and Gertie. Uh, it's an emotional sequence. Yeah, he tells uh, he tells Gertie to be good. He thanks Michael for his help, you know, which was which is nice. And then uh, you know he tells Ellie, you know, I'll be right here, and he points to his head. Which kind of kind of brings the whole concept we were talking about earlier, full circle. As you know, maybe they were playing with the idea this could be like you know kind of an imaginary friend type thing that only the kids can see. Uh, e. T. But uh, you know, which is kind of interesting. And then you know he says you know I'll be right here. And then he takes the 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 plant. He gets on the ship. The ship departs. There's a rainbow, and uh, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Um... The other, the other thing in that sequence that kind of got to me was whenever Elliot points to his heart and says, ouch. Um, yes. That's, oh, man, that, that got to me, man. And I got to say, as I know that, uh, uh, I mean, you know this, but um, people on this, who listen to this podcast might know about four months ago, uh, I lost my dog of uh, 13 years, and it was really hard on me. Uh, and I just, this scene just brought that all coming back to me. You know, you know, it's just yeah. whenever, like, I mean, for all intents and purposes, E.T. was their pet, you know, and he's going away and they have to say goodbye to their pet. And it was, uh, it, it kind of felt the same way, you know? Um, yeah, and it I got to you. me, you know, uh, pointing to his heart when he said, ouch, that was too, that was too much, man. That was, it. <laughs> that was too much. But, yeah. uh, I mean, that's E.T. That's, that's the, that's the, the, the most of the film. Um, a couple things I wanted to go over. Uh, special effects. You know, as we said, the 20th anniversary kind of cleaned up some things digitally. But uh, E.T., uh, a completely practical effect uh, done by both puppets and people in suits. Absolutely. And uh, you, can, you can't talk about that without talking about uh, our boy Carlo Rambaldi, bro. Amazing, amazing job with the special effects, especially with uh, with essentially creating e- how the look of E.T. and how you know, making the, the E.T. puppet work. And, uh, I mean, th- this guy did an amazing job. You know, I'm sure, like, you know, the current Blu-ray that's out there kind of cleaned up most of the stuff, you know, that kind of looked a little off, like, in the original, you know, 82 release. But, uh, I mean, you can't say enough about, like, just the lasting impact that Rambaldi and his work kind of left on on Hollywood and in movies in general. Like, now E.T. is such an iconic character. This has the iconic look. And it's all because of this guy. Yeah, uh, it um, it was 
I mean, it's it's an iconic looking character, kind of an ugly character if you if you think about it. Um, well, well, Spielberg said it, it's uh, it's one that only a mother could love. So, yeah, uh, but but it's kind of like one of those things that as the movie goes on, it just kind of becomes cute, even though it's objectively kind of ugly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um. It's uh. Yeah. It, you know. It was um. Really, but at least it's a. What 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 I think is important about it being a practical effect, uh, and it, it kind of goes with something about kind of a little bit of trivia for the film, is that the film was mostly shot in chronological order, especially scenes with the kids, so that he could get a uh, so that Spielberg could get a um, sincere reaction whenever they're saying goodbye to the they're saying goodbye to ET at the end. So that Which was the last sense. that was the last scene that they shot with the kids and ET uh, with them saying goodbye, and so those that's but. If that was like CGI, like they would do it nowadays, I don't know if you could get that kind of performance because those because they would have nothing to act against, right? They wouldn't have they they would have like nothing. They'd have like a green blob in front of them. And whereas these kids had something tangible that they could touch and hold and feel and hug, right? Uh, even if it was just a guy in a suit or or it was a puppet, it was like something that they could do. And it's it, so basically some of the scenes where the E.T. was running around. That was a somebody in a suit, and I believe it was a some one of them was like a like a, an armless, no, a legless girl uh, who could walk on her hands or something like that. Yeah, I think it was a I think it was a twelve year old that uh, I think was born with no legs. They said. Yeah. And uh, so, like the scenes were like E.T. kind of wobbling or tripping, and it was that person because they were, were like doing it on their arms and stuff, which was which was interesting. Oh wait, but, here, uh, I, well, I, I think you're I, right. I, I, I found sorry, I found real quick. I found the, the the what I was referencing. It says all the puppetry was performed by a two foot ten inch stunt man, except for the scenes in the kitchen. Those were done by a ten year old boy who was born without legs, but was was, a, oh, but was an expert okay. was an expert on walking on his hands. So there we go. Yeah, it, well there you go. No, but kind of to your earlier point, I, I think you're right because honestly, like. With CGI, there's there's no need to do it in chronological order anyway because it's like, you know, again, like you were saying, like the kids had nothing to act against, so they pretty much just have to kind of just go with the flow and kind of just try to just kind of force those emotions out for the performance. Whereas here, when they're actually acting against a puppet or like someone in a suit, you know, there's there's someone across from them that they can react to, and I this is one of those rare times I think, and it's it's. It, it, when you do, when you shoot chronologically, it, it's rare in Hollywood, just because because of certain like you know some locations are only available for a certain time, or because of budget issues. You know, you have to shoot things or on locations or at on certain spots when they're available. You can't just wait till you've shot everything before to get to it. So chronological shooting doesn't always happen. It's it's pretty rare, I think. And then, uh, but with here, like it made sense, and I'm sure like the budget allowed, the location shooting allowed for it, and. Uh, you know, he kind of used that to be able to get the, the, the range performances out of the actors that he wanted because they were able to spend all this time with, with the with the alien, with E.T., the puppet or whoever was inside the suit. And then uh, and then get that emotional goodbye at the end and get those, those real emotions. So uh, so I think you're right in the sense that like with CGI, with CGI, there's no need to do chronological because, again, they're, they're not there's nothing to, to act against. So that wouldn't really work today, but like back then, nineteen eighty-two, like it was, it was totally the right move, and not one that happens all the time, and and it, and it paid off. Yeah, it absolutely did, and I, I, you know, that's just another another argument for practical over or effects over CG. I just, 
I, I can't deal with the uh, I can't deal with overuse of CG and and you'll you'll never you, you won't get this movie like today like that this movie can't happen today because it would just be CG it would just be CG they would not go through the effort of doing a puppet right absolutely um one thing I kind of wanted to mention as a, uh, as a piece of trivia um, that uh, when Henry Thomas auditioned kind of back to what I was saying earlier uh, he invoked the um, uh, thinking about whenever his dog died to to express the 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 sadness he would feel whenever he'd say goodbye to uh, when he'd say goodbye to Elliot, which apparently made impressed Spielberg so much that he gave him the 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 part on the spot. I I read somewhere that uh, he showed up wearing an Indiana Jones costume, which I like I'm sure popped him. So uh, so I don't know if he was trying to do it to suck up to him or, or something, but uh, well, he definitely that's pretty sucked wacky. Up to him. Come yeah. on. <laughs> um. But yeah, so so that's uh that's oh and the other little piece of trivia that we got to mention, of course we have to mention is that uh, this was uh you know this was such a big success um they they were eventually going to a plan a sequel called E T two Nocturnal Animals or something like that um and uh, <laughs> uh, that was Nocturnal Animals really. that was um. No, Nocturnal Fears. Nocturnal Fears is what it was called. Uh, and it was, so it would have uh, had Jake Gyllenhaal in it then, you were saying. <laughs> uh, sure. Um, and it and apparently would have had Elliot and his family getting uh, kidnapped by aliens and E.T. Um, basically helping them. Um, this was canceled basically because uh, Spielberg said, uh, quote, would do nothing but rob the original of its virginity. So... There you go. I mean, there's just some movies that don't need a freaking sequel. You yeah, know, I thought perfect. Jaws was one of them too, and then you have like four sequels, I think, to Jaws. But uh, you know, it's just some movies just don't need one. They, they, just leave them be. Let them be the classics that they are. They don't need a part two. Like this is the whole story of ET. He, right. he, he gets stranded. He befriends Elliot. The government tries to get him. He he gets saved by Elliot, and then he goes home. Period. That's it. You know that that's the story, and it's a good story. So just leave it the way it is. <laughs> but that wasn't the last time we saw E.T. on screen. We did get to see E.T. on screen 17 years later in a little film called Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. In oh, a, yeah. Uh, oh, a, I forgot about that. Yep. In a, uh, in a, in a small cameo, a blink-and-you-miss-it cameo yeah. in the, uh, the Senate sequence in that film. Um, you know, you see a bunch of different uh, delegations from different planets, and if you look very closely for about half of a second, you see a delegation of little ETs. <laughs> I forgot about this, that. This, this was done that with Spielberg's egg, blessing, yeah. uh, uh, as um, uh, as I think as kind of a callback to the fact that Yoda was an ET. Right, which 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 makes sense. <laughs> so, um, so let's go on to kind of the legacy of the film. Uh, it won a ton of Oscars. It was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. I think it was nominated for eight Oscars, including uh, Best Picture, Best Director, Writing, yeah. Cinematography, Editing. It won four for sound, sound effects, uh, visual effects, and music for the legendary John Williams score. Uh, it's pretty much been on almost every AFI list, including the – It's uh, it was listed as the, uh, the 24th greatest film of all time. Uh, on their 100 Thrills, it was the 44th most uh, – uh, uh, on that entry – on the uh, inspirational list, it was number six, um, and it was uh, E.T. Phone Home was ranked 15th on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movie Quotes. Um, it, uh, it was, the, in, and in 1983, it 
was the firm. It was the film that basically knocked Star Wars off the top as the highest grossing film of all time, and it held that record until another Spielberg movie, Jurassic Park, in nineteen ninety three. Yep. So, so he, he was James Cameron before James Cameron. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's um, beating his own record. Exactly. Um, and I have the number right here. I'm trying to find it. it uh, E.T. Adjusted for Inflation is still the number four biggest movie of all time behind uh, Gone with the Wind, which is never going to get topped. Uh, Star Wars, which upon re-releases ended up making more money than E.T. And The Sound of Music. So E.T. still number four, according to uh, Adjusted for Inflation, with $1.2 billion. Amazing. Just just awesome. And that's just for American. That doesn't take into account worldwide. It's just American. Worldwide, right. Um, so that, and um, kind of another bit of a, a dubious um, legacy. Um, oh, I know. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. I In 1982... Atari. Atari, those bastards. <laughs> Made an E.T. video game, and to this day is considered the worst video game ever made. Uh, there's, I think there's a documentary just about how bad this game was that it like caused the whole industry to crash for yeah. a while. Like you, you know this, right? Like they, I think they, they people like the, the, the game experts point to this game as being responsible for, like, the video game crash of, like, the 80s that didn't come back to, like... And then, like, I think the, the industry suffered because of this until, like, the late 80s, early 90s, I think. And it's just such an infamously bad game. And you hear about the stories of, like, all the cartridges, like, in the landfills and shit. Um, but, yeah, like, there's a documentary just about how bad this game is. Like, a legit documentary. Yeah, they... they I haven't seen the whole thing, but I, I know it exists. They... And that's just... I, I forget I mean, what it's called, but, um... Uh, you're, you're right, it, it did contribute to the great North American video game crash. Uh, and it was so bad that the that Atari literally buried it. Literally buried it under it, like, in the ground. Um, and I think, like, it was recently, like, two or three years ago that they unearthed that, they, they found that that large collection of, of, uh, of uh, <laughs> E.T. video games. I don't know what was the bigger burial, bro. Atari literally burying cartridges of E.T. or Triple H burying Booker T. at WrestleMania 19. I don't know which was the bigger burial. Oh, but, uh... <laughs> um, but yeah, it's notoriously one of the worst games ever. It's funny. If you want to see what it's like, you could just go to YouTube and put in you know, uh, E.T. the video game. And plenty of people have uploaded them trying to play the game with hilarious results. Like, you can see their commentary as they try to play the game and, like, swearing at that thing because apparently it doesn't work. Like, they're just... It's just full of so many glitches that it's just a horrible game altogether. It, it, it looks terrible. I mean, it, for... for I mean, it's Atari graphics, but, I mean, it just looks like no fun at all. So, I'm, I'm very... Uh, uh, it's a very kind of fascinating thing. You're right. It led to a video game crash. It... Uh, it was such such a poorly received game. I just it, it almost killed an industry. Just think of it. It almost killed an entire industry, bro. That's just that's that, that you got. It, so you have to be that bad to almost cause the death of video games. But uh, this this came closer to doing it, bro. Uh, and then the other kind of li little bit of a legacy it has uh, is the theme park ride at Universal, the ET Adventure. Do you ever go on ET Adventure? So when I was in Orlando this year for uh, for WrestleMania, when I went to Universal, you know, I always thought that the ET ride 
side was closed. Like when they started closing the old rides, like Back to the Future, Jaws, King Kong. I figured E.T. was one of the ones, one of the older Universal attractions that had already closed. Um, so when I was in Orlando this year at Universal, I never bothered to look for it because I thought it wasn't there anymore. And then today, when I was researching for for the show, and I saw that E.T. Adventure is still indeed a thing at Universal Orlando, I was like, oh. I was kicking myself because I didn't bother to look for it. But so you yeah, never, you never it's been still on there. It. Never been on it. Yeah, I did go on it. Uh, I went on it uh, 1995 or 96 because uh, I went to the. Yeah, I think pretty. I think that that's when it was. Uh, I didn't actually realize it was still there, but uh, I went on it. It's not a great ride. It's it's fine, but it's kind of like it's a like little, a kiddie ride. It's like I a think, kiddie right? ride. It, it goes very yeah. slow. And now this is 20 years ago that I went on it, so who knows how, what it's actually like now. Um, but it went pretty slow. Um, it's almost kind of like the Winnie the Pooh ride in, in, uh, Disney World. You know, you just get, you're just kind of like in a cart, you kind of see different little scenes. Um, you see like some animatronic puppets and I mean, that's about it. Like it's not super intense or anything. Um, but, uh, it, it's, it's an interesting ride. It's an interesting ride, but it's still there. Yeah. I actually can't believe it's actually still there. I, I, I would have assumed it was gone by now. It, it took away so many uh, the other. one in, in Hollywood closed, and then the one in like Japan closed. But uh, the one in Orlando is still there, apparently. It must be because it's po- still popular, right? You know, that's the only thing it I has can think to be. Of. Um, and it's in a spot called Woody Woodpecker's Kids Corner, which I didn't even know was a place because I didn't. I never walked by it or anything. That's why I don't know if Wikipedia is lying to me when I when I looked at it earlier today. But apparently, it says it's still there, so I'm going to believe it. <laughs> Uh, well, I just looked it up on YouTube, and some of people have uploaded the um, the ride on YouTube, like their experience on the ride. So if you want to see what it yeah. actually is, you can see it. Um, it's yeah, not, I'm going to do that. Like They always do like the first-person views. Yeah, think, yeah. So. They have that. It's about seven minutes long. It's it's honestly not very exciting. And and I was – because I, I, I just kind of scrubbed through it real quick while I was uh, while I was talking to you about it. And just to see like, okay, is it how I remember it is? And then I saw it. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty much the same. It's not that great. <laughs> it's kind of kind of a kiddie ride. Yeah, well, when uh, when uh, when Walt Disney opens the Tron ride, I'm definitely gonna go for that. Oh man, I want I want to go on a Tron ride so bad. <laughs> you know how much I love Tron. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so that 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 that'll do it. Unless you have any other kind of topics you want to talk about. Uh, as far as ET, uh, not so much. Um, I mean, we pretty much covered all the bases here. As far as uh. Like, you know, the legacy of E.T., you know, um, kind of like I said at the beginning, this is one of the, it's, it's weird with this movie. It's one of those all time classics. And I and I mean that in every sense of the word all time classics that everybody remembers, like from every generation, like, you know, from 82 on. Um, but it's one of those ones that like, you know, you kind of you see it once. And you get the gist of it and you kind of can kind of let it rest for like years at a time, like. You know, like I told, like I told, uh, told you earlier, it took me about like 12, 13 years after, like I saw it the first time as a kid to see it again, you know, and ever since then I've kind of tried to make time, you know, for regular screens, like once or twice a year for it. But, you know, it's just one of those movies that like, it's just becomes so ingrained in the pop culture, you know, E.T. is such an iconic movie character. Just, he's right up there with, you know, with the likes of Indiana Jones, Darth Vader, you know, all these other iconic like movie characters. And, you know, it's one of those ones that, you know, the legacy is, is as strong as ever. And I think it's going to continue to be. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it's, um, 
it, it has this very strong legacy. It, everyone knows it. Everyone's seen it. Uh, everyone uh, knows the iconic shots of the film. Uh, it's going to go on in, like for generations. Uh, I'm going to let my daughter see it. I'm going to wait a little bit just because I think maybe the puppet might scare her at this age. So I'm going right. to wait like maybe another year or two before I let her watch it. Plus, plus it has it has some choice language like penis breath in it. Which I don't necessarily know if I want to. I want my daughter to say that. Which That's I always right. crack up because the the D Wallace, the the actress who plays the mom, whenever he says penis, she, when she says you can't say that or whatever, she's like laughing through that line. And I wonder if that was a good, if yes. that was an outtake. Because, and he left that in, bro. Because, I noticed that too. Today. Because it's funny. Because if I saw a little kid yell penis breath, I'd laugh too. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I noticed that too today. So that, that'll about do it for E.T. I have some recommendations. Uh, if you like E.T., I have a couple recommendations here I want to go through. Um, couple of the, and, and basically they all share the same theme of kids going up against some sort of adventure. Um, the first one I would say is uh, another film from the 80s. Actually, the first three are from the 80s. The first one is Goonies. Uh, of course, I knew you were going to say Goonies. Of course, Hatsy. Goonies. It has to be, right? It, 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 you, an E.T. Goonies double feature makes a lot of sense, right? Um, Goonies about a bunch of kids, you know, fighting pirates and, and gangsters uh, trying to find a, a, the map of One-Eyed Willie. Um, uh, Stand By Me is another one, uh, a little more serious, um, but still kids going on an adventure, also from the 80s. Um, this one, just because I think it never gets enough love, but it's one of my favorites from my childhood, The Monster Squad. Uh, but a bunch of kids taking on basically the the old school Universal monsters like Wolfman and Dracula and the creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, I love that movie, and it, it, more people should watch it. Um, you know, I never really knew about that movie until uh, I saw that Alamo was doing some screenings for it for Halloween, which is awesome. So uh, I was like, Monster Squad, like what's this? And they're like, they're making a big deal. Like they're doing like two nights in a row where they're showing Monster Squad screenings, and I was like, hmm. And then when I actually looked it up. I actually saw a trailer for it when we went to see, uh, I think, It. They did a trailer for the Monster Squad event. And then my uncle, who was sitting next to me, he popped because, like, oh, my God, it's Monster Squad. Like, well, I, I mean, I don't care. Like, what, what is Monster Squad? And then when I, when I, when he, like, he was, like, slobbering all over that movie. And then when I actually looked it up, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool, actually. I wouldn't mind seeing this in the big stream. So I, totally I might go. go. Man. You should totally go. I love that. It's really cheesy. And it's, like, totally, like, you know, Kid logic doesn't make any sense that they're doing this, but it's so much fun. It's literally that's all it is. It's a bunch of kids fighting monsters, and it's awesome. Um, I love that movie. Um, and uh, Wolfman's got nards. Just just remember that line. Wolfman's got nards. Uh, <laughs> um, speaking of it, I think that's another kind of recommendation. Both the original nineteen ninety miniseries and the uh, the current one out in theaters. I think both of them uh, kind of still kind of gel in that theme of kind of kids going into like a, a, a an adventure that's kind of greater than themselves definitely and uh, i was gonna say uh, a, a double feature of the goonies and the new it would be would be a good uh, good a good one a good combo yeah i think that too um and also a movie that i think borrowed very heavily from et uh one of my favorite films of 2011 super eight oh definitely i i, I forgot you know what? I, I'm surprised we only just mentioned Super Eight now because that one definitely like you, you see the influences. Like it, it, it's such a tribute to Spielberg. We talked about the Fourth Perspective when we reviewed. It. Like it's such a homage to this like the Spielberg era of movies and like you know, ET especially being one of them. And uh, it's a great movie. I should really revisit it sometime. Yeah, I love that movie. Um, it's it, 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 I mean it's such a 
it's such a kind of callback and, and love letter to the 80s. That was J.J., right? It was J.J. Oh. Abrams. It was J.J. Abrams, okay. But I think Spielberg did have a producer credit on it. And then the other thing, not really a movie, but something I recommend to anybody, Stranger Things, the Netflix TV show. Um, oh, of course. It's absolutely a love letter to 1980s movies like E.T. and Goonies and Stand By Me and The Monster Squad. It's an absolutely a love letter to those kind of movies. So uh, if you liked E.T. and you've never seen Stranger Things, please watch binge Stranger Things as soon as you can because I think the um, season two is coming out in about a month, so you should get on that and catch up. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'll, those are my recommendations. You, would you recommend any other movies uh, if you like E.T.? Um, I mean, I, definitely Goonies. That was the one I had in mind. I knew you were going to say it. Uh, definitely going to recommend it as well. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's pretty much it. You pretty much covered all the bases. All right. Uh, so E.T. is available on pretty much all streaming platforms right now. And on iTunes, it's it's only uh, $7. So that's a pretty decent deal. Um, I'm a physical media junkie, obviously. So I'm always going to push for physical media. Uh, so they have a decent – the anniversary edition, I think the 30th anniversary Blu-ray, is uh, it, pretty decent. I mean, it's not packed with features or anything, but it's – it's got a it, it it it's a pretty decent transfer and, and it's got you know deleted scenes all that kind of stuff on it, um, and uh, there's a new re-release for this year I think for the 35th if I'm not mistaken. Are they going to re-release it on on? Uh, I, don't I think they already did. I'm going to look it up now actually. I'm going to okay. look it up on uh, my trusty uh, Blu-ray.com because I'm pretty sure they just did only either this week or it's coming next week or whatever. I'm going to actually uh, let's see it's this one here. Let's see. Uh, September 12th, 2000. Okay, so it was this week it came out. Um, so it's basically just a money grab. Pretty much. All right. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, I don't think there's much that, that you need to put on one of these anymore. I mean, I think we, we have everything, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, see, oh, it's 4K. You want 4K edition or whatever. I don't know, man. 4Ks, I can't do 4K yet. Like, I, got, like, I can't no, buy a new no. TV right away like i just bought this maybe TV in a here. couple of years i might finally go for broke and get the uh and get the uh, the 4k tv but for now like i'm i'm happy with my 3d 42 inch you know yeah like i'm not ready for 4k yet all right um so for our next movie uh i am not going to pull out the random movie generator because i actually have a movie already in mind Okay, uh, so is this okay? So tis the season. Tis the season, and our yeah. next episode is going to drop in October, which is Halloween season. So I think what better movie to talk about for the Halloween? Now, last year we talked about Halloween, 19, the 1978 John Carpenter movie. This year, I think I'm going to go for the big one, the Big Daddy. I think we should talk about The Exorcist. Oh, all right. Excellent choice, excellent. Because you had you had many choices. You could have gone with uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, especially since we lost Toby Hooper. I think last month it was, you know, which was very tragic. Very oh, yeah, tragic. Yeah, you're right. I one. forgot um, that Toby Hooper went, uh, passed away. You're right. Um, you could have picked Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, you, you could have picked a lot. And then Exorcist is pretty much the granddaddy of, of horror films in a lot of circles. It's the Citizen Kane of horror. So uh, let's. Uh, I, I'm very excited for this. I, I'm glad I get to dust off my uh, my uh, 30th anniversary edition and uh, get to pop that in and uh, revisit that that classic. Well, I was I was going back and forth between The Exorcist, um, The Shining, and Psycho, which are all very good horror movies to watch on Halloween. Right? Those are like those, those are three classic ones. Right? 
you know what's so funny? Um, I'm those two movies specifically, bro. I'm here's what's so funny about that. So I know that. Uh, so like I said, with we were talking about Alamo this year, Alamo's doing a uh, every quarter they're doing a special Kubrick screening, and for Halloween they're doing The Shining. So I'm literally just waiting for the text that says that those tickets have dropped. I'm going to go buy them because I've attended. Two of the three already have already come out. I did Clockwork Orange. I couldn't do 2001 because I was in Orlando at the time and I couldn't go. And then I did Full Metal Jacket. So now the fourth and final one for the year is going to be The Shining for Halloween. And I'm waiting for that to drop so I can just get the tickets and uh, and do that because I'm I'm I haven't seen The Shining. I haven't really watched that in a while. I think it's been like maybe a couple years since I've watched it start to finish. And I'm really excited to see it on the big screen, especially at Alamo because they always do wacky stuff. So I'm waiting for that. And then uh, Psycho, I'm actually going to go take a friend of mine to see Psycho because she's admitted she's never seen Psycho. So I, I, it's one of those things where, like, you know, you, you've never seen The Godfather. You never, you've never seen Psycho. Like, no, I've never seen Psycho. So I'm, they're doing a, a screening in Montclair, which is a couple towns over from me at my art house, on October 8th, I think, which is on a Sunday. And I'm taking her to that because, like, how can you have not seen Psycho? Does, so she, know the, does she know the I'm, twist? I'm going to be revisiting. What's that? Does she know the twist? I'm not. I don't know. <laughs> I have. She, she probably does, because it is 2017, and like that, everybody's like right at your fingertips. But I will be like, you know, you mentioned those two films. I will be seeing The Shining and the, and Psycho within the next month or two on the big screen. So that's gonna be that's gonna be cool. All right. Well, find time for uh, The Exorcist as well. So that'll be our next movie. But I mean, out of those three, like it's really it was really a hard choice. But I was like. I kind of feel like we got to go hardcore, and I don't think you can get more hardcore than The Exorcist. Of course. And uh, it's so funny, too, because uh, I have the uh, – in my uh, little studio before I do these shows, I have the uh, the Reagan uh, Funko Pop with the vomit on the box. Of course. It's kind of like staring at me, which is awesome. And then I just bought – uh, just yesterday, um, I just bought the uh, the new uh, – Pop Funko Pop for Jack Torrance from The Shining. Oh, nice! And he has the uh, the blood on the on the box one. It has Red Rum written on it, which is awesome. It's a Red nice rum. touch. Red so. Rum. <laughs> so, all right. So that that'll be our Halloween edition. Is The Exorcist. Um, that'll about do it for us this week. Uh, please visit EssentialFilmsPodcast.com for some for news and reviews and other and other uh, updates on the podcast. Uh, email us at EssentialFilmsPodcast at gmail.com and like The Essential Films on Facebook and follow at Essential Films on Twitter. Uh, please like, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes as well. Uh, and also we have another show um, called Force Perspective that we are we are getting to a big milestone. Uh, before we get there, you should check out our most recent episodes on Spider-Man Homecoming and the My Favorite Movie series uh, where we talk about Pulp Fiction. Um, but, uh, you want to tell us about what the next episode, uh, has in store? I won't give away too much because I'm going to be dropping little hints throughout the next few weeks, few days on, uh, on Twitter. But, uh, yes, we are coming up on our 100th episode of Force Perspective and it has been booked for October 15th, 2017. We're very excited. We're just, I'm going to be finalizing the plans for that show this week and I want to start dropping little hints here and there like I kind of started doing with the, with the, uh, air date announcement which i did yesterday i think and uh it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a fun show if, if everything goes according to plan it's gonna be a great time it's gonna be a great show it's gonna be a new era for the show so i'm very excited for that so the 100th episode of force perspective october 15th is dropping so uh definitely look forward to that 
Okay, why don't you just tell them the truth? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna spoil it right now, folks. Hundredth episode, we're just gonna go a deep dive into the entire Twilight franchise. <laughs> no, that's not true. We're not doing that. I thought you we were gonna say we're gonna do a whole three hour expose on the room. On the <laughs> Dude, have you <laughs> seen the disaster artist trailer? Yes, I have. Oh it's my god, awesome. I wanna see that so bad. It is awesome, bro. <laughs> I wanna see that so I can't bad. Wait for that. Oh my god. Oh man, that looks really good. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> you totally reminded me of that when you were in the room. Um, but yeah, uh, we're not going to give away exactly what it is. But uh, yeah, October fifteenth, and uh, stay tuned. Definitely stay tuned. Uh, where else can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SportsGuy five one five, and you can also follow Forbes Perspective on Twitter at FP Movie Podcast, and uh, you can also look for us on our. Facebook page, just type in the search box for Respected Movie Podcast, and you can like our Facebook page there as well. All right, folks. That'll about do it for this week. Uh, so until next time for the Essential Films, we'll be right here. Mm-hmm.